this week on Weak Sauce. But but the Mormons didn't have to eat each other, so that's good, right? That's good news. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. If you're looking for confirmation, yeah. it is good news. It yeah. is definitely. Good I just news. wanted to they make sure not, we're on the same page. They did so. not have to eat each other, so that's good. Uh huh. Hooray! <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Week Sauce, a weekly history podcast about this week in history. My name is Mike, and I'm joined, as always, by Jason. Uh, Jason, we both went out of town this weekend, not together. Yeah, we did separately. go together. Different, t- different places we went to. No, we went on a, we went on a road trip together. That's nope, what we did. that's not true. Oh. Uh, you were in Las Vegas, Yes. Nevada, correct? Las Vegas, Nevada. Not Las Vegas, Las, Connecticut. or Yes, Las yeah. Vegas, Nevada, also mm-hmm. known as the Sunshine State. Right. Sure, I don't if you're know aware if that's of that. true. But, uh, yeah, so you you went to the MMA thing, right? Yeah, I uh, I do enjoy a bit of an escape from history because otherwise my life is 100% history mm-hmm. all the time. Like, that's all I do. But, like, once a year you'll get, you'll get away to Vegas and go mm-hmm. to some UFC events or yeah. stuff like that. I like... I like to see some grown men fighting each other here and there. Mm-hmm. It's a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. So I went to Vegas and enjoyed that and enjoyed about 15,000 people who traveled from Ireland to Las mm-hmm. Vegas to watch their favorite fighter and hero uh, in Vegas, which was a fantastic experience. I love Irish people. Mm-hmm. Irish people are uh, are some of my favorite people now that I've had the chance to. They've uh, to they got a lot of energy. They've got Usually. a lot of energy. They, they are. Um, they like. They like the sauce. They mm-hmm. like the drinky drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but they are very uh, cooperative and friendly when they drink. They're not angry drunks, in my experience. They mm-hmm. were. I told you the story that um, while in Vegas after the fights were over, their hero won, and they were all obviously excited. Right. And they had had a lot to drink during the fight to take the edge off because they were very nervous also. They spent a lot of money to come here and watch uh, the Irishman fight and, mm-hmm. and win. So uh, after the fights, they all congregate. And this is typical because this is the other thing the Irish do. They congregate everywhere. They, there's never You never just see one Irish guy walking by himself somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's always like 30 of them in a pack. Right. Yeah, and they're, they're all... They're yeah. pack animals. Pack they're, they're absolutely pack animals, and they're mm-hmm. they're they're together, and they love to sing songs. So um, after the fights, there were several packs throughout Vegas, but one of the bigger ones was near where we were, and there was uh, probably oh I don't know sixty Irish people, maybe a hundred, in a big circle, uh, chanting and singing songs and drinking and waving Irish flags, and then security came and decided that they needed to move. And so they did. They moved about, well, they moved exactly where security told them they had to be passed. And mm-hmm. then they started dancing and singing again in a pack. So at, they moved like 10 spot. feet away. Yeah. Like, he was like you can't ex- stand in this exact spot. And so they're right. like, okay, we'll stand just to the left of that. Spot. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, they did exactly as they were told. Mm-hmm. And then just went back to singing and drinking beer and, and waving flags and having yeah. a great time. So. Having a good time. Not really hurting anybody. No. Just sort of hanging out and. Being, being jolly, very polite. Yeah. yeah. Like, if people needed to get by, they would just kind of sort of open up a little lane for people to get by and pat mm-hmm. them on the back and, you know, tell them how happy they were and then move on. Yeah. So so I, I give the Irish two thumbs up in our uh, weekly ranking of 
people other from other countries. countries. Yeah, other yeah. ethnicities and mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, so that's I guess that's our official podcast stance is we're pro Ireland and Irish people. Yeah, we're for sure pro Irish people. I don't mm-hmm. know enough about Ireland to say whether or not I'm pro Ireland. Yeah, I've heard uh, it's a nice place, but yeah, I haven't been the myself people yet. Seem nice. So. so, what did you do? Didn't you go to uh, Amsterdam? No, that's not even no. I went to uh, down in the hill country of Texas, uh, down in a town called uh, Kerrville, a town called Kerrville, down there on the Guadalupe River. Mm-hmm. Uh, hung out with some people I used to work with, saw some other people that I used to work with I haven't seen in a while, you know, we did a little camping out, and unfortunately we had to put our tents under, like, kind of in an open area, like, the area that was under trees had a bunch of rocks on it, so we couldn't really set the tents up there, so at about 8 in the morning, the tents were just sweltering, like, just wake up, just drenched in sweat, and just... yeah just not feeling great about life and um so actually i had did a, not bring an air conditioner with you no no i mean i brought a window unit you know one uh-huh. of those window unit acs but it the tent was too flimsy to hold it up it's yeah kind of like, that's a problem who even designed this tent really yeah but i actually had a question for you an etiquette question sure sort of came up uh, on my way out of out of town headed back up this way to north texas I stopped in Fredericksburg, which is a little, like, German town just north. Yeah. And I, I went and ate at this German bakery, and I got seated at a table that had other people at it. It was, like, a eight-person table. Mm-hmm. And there were just two people sitting at one end, and then they put me on the other end because they were kind of backed up and they didn't have smaller tables for us. What right. do you think the proper etiquette is when you're when you sit at a table with strangers and it's just sort of like... They're at one end, you're at the other. Like, because my my gut was to just like just stare at them, uh-huh. just stare, like unblinking, yeah. just dead eyes, just right through them. You know, uh-huh. um, and they didn't seem to like that. They were they seemed like that made them uncomfortable for some reason. Yeah. So, like, what would your? I mean, what would your strategy mm-hmm. be? Yeah, the first thing I do is I go and move my seat, and I sit right next right to next who, the male, whichever male is okay. at the table. And that's just to assert my dominance, really. Right, um, yeah. So that he he and his uh, mate understand that I'm in charge of the table at that point. Mm-hmm. So if for some reason they bring and they like an extra dessert and they say, hey, we have this extra dessert for the table, they know that I get dips. Right, right. Or like if they if they want the if they ask you to pass them the salt and you're like, well, you know, you'll get salt when I decide you get salt. Yeah, you'll get that salt when I want you to have salt. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So that that's rule number one. But I think I'm always uncomfortable with that situation myself. Um, I think uh, I know a lot of people and I have a lot of friends that are really like they go to a bar and they make friends very easily. They can just talk to someone sitting next to them and strike up a conversation and, um, you know, talk to people. In fact, you're even kind of like that. Uh, well, yeah, but to, that's when I'm in a bar and there's, you know, right. a little alcohol involved. It kind of loosens, you know. But even I'm not like that. Like I, I don't like talking to strangers. I just, yeah. I f- well, you I were told like... in elementary school, stranger danger, and you uh-huh. sort of continued that into your adult life. So right, it, it makes sense. Yeah. So I don't think that I would talk to these people at the table either. Yeah. I would probably be like you and just sort of sit there, by in a corner by myself, and every mm-hmm. once in a while just give them the stink eye. Yeah. What about the uh, you know the like pulling your 
pulling your finger across your throat like a like you know yes. is that would that you do think that would be the throat slash sign? Yeah, you think that would kind of make things worse if if the situation was awkward or No, I I think you better? have to make sure that you but you can't do that until you've had like 45 seconds of direct locked eye contact mm-hmm. with someone. Okay. Now if you can manage that, then yeah, you do the throat slash cuz right. they're challenging you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. He needs to look away. So, you look him in the eyes. If he doesn't look away, you hold on. I'm gonna do a transition. I want to do a great transition here. Okay, sorry. Go ahead. So speaking of slashing, huh? That wasn't even planned, honestly. Really? I just thought of that in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Our our first topic this week is sort of along those lines. Yeah, it's really along those lines. Yeah, it's like that's exactly what it, it's about. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last week when we recorded, we didn't have our topics picked out yet, so. This is a, a surprise to everybody, but uh, yeah, you want to get into the, you want to jump into it? Yeah, tell mm-hmm. them what we're going to do this week. Okay, well, for a treat. Yeah, um, this week we're doing July 20th through 26th, that's our week, and our first topic is, well, see, last week we we really had no death at all, and we were just like, well, that's, that's ridiculous, that's not that work. will not do. No. Um, so this week, we for our first topic, we settled on the death of Ed Gein, who is a famous serial killer, who inspired several characters in movies that you may have heard of, which we'll, we'll get to later on. But uh, yeah, Ed Gein died on July 26th, 1984, and he died in the Mendota Mental Health Institute of Liver and Respiratory Failure. How old um, was he? Uh, he was born in uh, nineteen oh five, I think. So, so I, I think I read that he was he was uh, seventy seven when he died. So but I could be wrong. With pretty that. long and productive yeah, he, life. Yeah, he lived for quite a while. Well, I don't know about productive, but well, productive for him. Yeah, he lived for a long time though. Uh, a lot of uh, all of his later years were in various mental institutions, but. Um, did you know a whole lot about Ed Gein before we settled on this and started doing research and stuff? Not at all. In fact, um, well, I, I knew indirectly of him, mm-hmm. uh, which I'm sure we'll get into, because a lot of what you see in popular culture in terms of the uh, the way serial killers are portrayed, mm-hmm. a lot of that comes from his actual crimes, mm-hmm. but I did not know that there was one person that was responsible for a lot of this, so no, this was new to me, and quite frankly, I wish I'd never known, so yeah. thanks for that. Yeah, well, it's, uh, I'd say this podcast has done a lot of good in your life, and some not so good, so. This is this is definitely not an episode for the faint of heart. This, no, no, we, we should say up front, like, this is, a lot of this, like, we tried to kind of keep a lot of the really dark aspects of this out, um, but it is you know, some of this stuff is sort of not for the uh, weak of stomach or yeah. faint of heart. So Absolutely. if you're not, if you're not really interested in serial killers and really creepy weirdo stuff like that, then maybe you should skip ahead. But we'll we'll try to keep it, you know, not too terrible. So, or we'll just make it super terrible. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll go all the way. We'll, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Um, so Ed Gein was born in La Crosse, Wisconsin in 1906. That's when he was born. 
to George and Augusta Gein, which Augusta, that's a that's a beautiful woman's name, isn't it? Yeah, probably a very, very beautiful woman, I would mm-hmm. imagine. Yeah. And, uh, at least he, he had, thought so. <laughs> uh, yeah. He had a, uh, an older brother named Henry. So it was just uh, his two parents and his, him and his brother. And his dad, George, was a drunk and couldn't keep a job because he was always drinking and stuff. And, uh, Augusta was deeply religious. I believe I read that she was Lutheran. Uh, and she was a classic fire and brimstone Christian. Like, really hit on all the, like, ah, everybody's terrible, there's all this depravity everywhere, and uh, just just uh, really preached that kind of stuff to her family. And she really didn't like her husband, again, because he was a drunk and probably not what she would consider a model Christian. And uh, I guess she owned a grocery store in La Crosse, and in 1914, she sold it so the family could move to this farm in Plainfield, Wisconsin. And I was watching a little video about it, and they they said that she wanted to leave La Crosse because it was too big of a town, and it was too, like, too full of sin. Like, she considered this oh, yeah. town, La Crosse, Wisconsin, like, the third in the Sodom and Gomorrah in La Crosse. Like, yeah. this is a trifecta. Big city. Yeah, yeah, the huge metropolis of lacrosse. Right. Probably had like fifteen hundred people in it or something. Yeah. Uh, but she wanted she wanted to move the family to Plainfield, which I guess was this smaller, you know, non nondescript country community or whatever. So she sold the grocery store, they bought a farm, and the farm was literally just kinda out in the middle of nowhere. It was it was near this town, but it was sort of off in it, in its own little spot, and they were kind of left alone. And uh, Ed, he really only left the farm from that point on to go to school. And I read that while he was in school, he tried to make friends with the other kids, and he was kind of weird, which, yeah, you know, he's, he, he wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't like a really bad kid or anything. He was just kind of an oddball, just kind of didn't, fit in with everybody but he tried to make friends and then his mom actually punished him for trying to make friends yeah they say that he had a growth over one of his eyes and i quote in an effeminate demeanor mm. so yeah. uh they also i also read that he had other weird mannerisms like random la- random laughter just uh-huh. out of nowhere yeah, so, like he like he thought of something funny in his own head and nobody yeah. else was in on the joke. Yeah, the guy, I mean, at that moment, don't you just sort of lock that kid up and say, "Listen, you're probably a serial killer." I mean, I don't know if I'd go that far, but no. I would it would just be a little weird if there was one kid in my class who just spontaneously started laughing at all times of the day. So, do you think um back in the early 1900s that there were good like anti-bullying campaigns in schools and stuff i would guess not i would i would even go so far as to say maybe there were pro-bullying campaigns they they had someone come in and teach the other kids how to like bully like you see that kid back there who's laughing to himself you should go like make fun of him push him down and Mm -hmm. you know make him eat dirt or whatever just you know to to make to toughen toughen him up you know Something yeah, like that. I don't know that, that would. I don't know if that's going to work out well. Well, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where the story goes. Yeah, let's hope. 
Uh, so he finished, he basically stopped going to school after seventh grade. That was as far as he got. His mom was like, nah, you need to stay home with me. And she really pushed the, you know, her own personal religious message on both Ed and Henry. Uh, a lot of talk of depravity and the sins of the world and how terrible everybody was. And she really, really emphasized that all women, presumably besides her, are whores. Like, that was her big message to her children, was women are whores, you know, they're... She's right. Avoid... Well, I don't... That that was not me. You just played... I cannot believe that you would do that. Yeah? I just suddenly have a board and I can drop, yeah, you do took drops a board of your... Yeah, you played a drop, and uh-huh. that's unfortunate. So, sorry yeah. about that, folks. I'm, that's s- not... I'm so he sorry that I did funny. that thing... Yeah. Go ahead. What were you saying? Though? I was I was saying that Augusta really emphasized to her two to her two sons that women were whores and uh, whatever and should be avoided. And I actually I, I read one story that, and this was a little later in Ed's life, but Ed and Augusta went to another guy's farm to buy some hay or something, and the guy came outside. And there was a dog there, and, and the dog did something, or it was barking or something. It made the guy mad, so the guy started beating the dog. And he beat the dog to death. Ooh. And in the midst of this, this woman came out of the farmhouse and said, you know, hey, stop, you know, hey, quit hitting your dog. You know, you're going to hurt it. You're going to whatever. And after the fact, Augusta was really upset about the whole thing. She's like, you know, like she saw this dog get killed and everything, and but what she was actually mad about was that she knew that the woman and the farmer were not married to each other, and that infuriated her because that that woman is a whore, that poor you know. Dog. Yeah, didn't care about the dog at all. She was more concerned about this woman and uh, whatever was going on between her and that farmer. But anyway, so she she was into this very fire and brimstone type of religious upbringing. And really kind of beat her two sons over the head with it, you know. Really trying to get them to understand that women are whores and the world's evil and and all that type of stuff. And then in 1940, George died. Uh, I think he had heart failure, which was basically happened because of his years and years of alcoholism. So the man in the house was gone. It was just the two boys and Augusta... And Henry was really worried about Ed's attachment to his mom. Yeah. And Henry Henry was the more much more bullheaded, strong willed of the two. He's he sort of started to pull away from his mom and he would even make like snarky comments about her in front of Ed and that would really upset Ed. Cause, you know, it's their mom, like she's great and wonderful and she's you know, whatever. So there was sort of this push and pull of Henry hoping that Ed would sort of also pull away from her a little bit, um, which didn't really didn't really work out. If anything, you know, things got worse. Yeah, he. So this sort of starts the whole um, portrayal of serial killers and psychos in mm-hmm. movies and television. Well, that. that his relationship with his mom was part of the inspiration for Norman Bates and Psycho. Mm-hmm. They just way too attached to the mother. Yeah, and, like 
no any... real meaningful Very... relationship with another woman. Right. You know, it's like Ed was a bachelor through, you know, throughout his life. As far as anybody knows, he never had anything resembling a girlfriend or... Uh, and I read that Henry actually was going at... I guess he was going to move in with a woman at one point. Uh, I don't know exactly what came of that. If he... You know, if he died before that happened. Or... You know, it just didn't pan out. But in May 1944, Ed and Henry were tending to a brush fire that was on their property. And it sort of got out of control. And... Henry went missing in the midst of all this chaos. And the fire department came, they helped put the fire out and everything, and then Ed was like, oh, what, where's Henry? He reported to the police that Henry was missing. And he said he didn't know what happened to him, but then when the deputies showed up to help look for him, from the thing that I watched, they said he basically read, led them right to him. Whoops. He was just like, I don't know where he is, and then he like walked straight let's, there. Let's look over here, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he's over behind this tree next to this rock that mm-hmm. might be there. Uh, so they so they found Henry, and he wasn't burned at all. And so they thought maybe he'd had heart failure, or he'd breathed in too much smoke and died. But they said that there was some weird bruising on his head that never really was explained. But huh. the... Like, the officials who were kind of in charge of the, of the investigation were just like, well, you know, Ed and Augusta have suffered enough. Let's just declare it asphyxiation or whatever. Oh, yeah. And so let it go. We don't want this guy that killed his own brother to suffer anymore. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of, there's always been that question. No, Nobody really knows, but there's always been that question of, was this, like, his first murder? You know, did he kill his brother? Maybe his brother was you know, talking a little too bad about mom and he just got sick of it and snapped or. Yeah. Well, there's nothing else in his life that would lead anyone to believe that he would kill another human being. Well, I mean, not certainly not to this point, but even after that, well, um, see, I'm worried you didn't do a lot. I'm worried your reading stopped at a certain point because it is gonna. Oh, I thought this was about a hero that survived a brush fire. uh, (laughs) Oh no, no, no. You're, oh, you're sorely, sorely mistaken, Jason. Okay, so there's more to this guy's story. Well, I can't wait yeah. to hear it. Yeah, I mean, he did survive the brush fire, so good for him, I guess. Uh-huh. Not good for other people <laughs> right. later on. but uh, <laughs> Not good for a lot of other people. No, no, but uh, shortly after Henry's death, Augusta actually had a stroke. Oh, and it sort of... Uh, yeah, yeah, and then she had a second stroke later on, so she was sort of... Kind of bedridden, not not doing too well, and Ed, of course, was very you know spent a lot of time attending to her and trying to make sure she was as comfortable as possible and whatever. And then in December of 1945, she died. So Ed was now alone in the world. He didn't really have any friends. And actually, this quote that I wrote down was uh, it said Ed had lost his only friend and one true love. He Ugh. was absolutely alone in the world. Gross. Yeah. So, I read. Um, I read that he, after she died, he wanted to have a sex change. Oh, really? I didn't read that anywhere. Yeah, huh. that's reported that he that he uh, that he would would wanted to have a sex change after his mother yeah. died. So, hmm. well, that would that would explain some things from later on. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, for sure. We'll, we'll get into that here. Yeah, momentarily. But, uh, 
in the wake of his mom's death, he actually boarded up a bunch of the rooms that she, like the parlor and her bedroom and different rooms in the house that were kind of her rooms, uh, so that they would be preserved kind of like a shrine. That's not creepy. No, certainly not weird at all. Everybody does that, right? Not creepy it's walking like into a, a house normal... with like a bunch of boarded up rooms. Yeah. Oh my yeah, God. and he, there was like it. one room in like next to the kitchen that was his room. And everything else was sort of like off limits. Like this was mom's room. This is a you know her. I want her rocking chair to be, you know, in perfect condition. And you know, whatever. it's like kind of goes back to like you're saying the Norman Bates thing. Yeah, where it's like, just that, I don't want to disturb her stuff. It's it's her stuff or whatever. So um, creepy. So in 1954, a local tavern owner named Mary Hogan disappeared, and nobody really was sure kind of what happened to her it's like somebody went to her tavern one one day and there was like it looked like there had been a struggle of some sort there's like blood on the floor or something like that and and it's sort of like okay something happened to her nobody knows for sure and in the the documentary thing i was watching about it they said that he actually said a couple different times in in the company of other people that he had her and everybody's like oh yeah sure you do ed sure you do Crazy old Ed just joking around like he always does. Yeah. And and the thing, kind of the impression that I got from, from watching that and had a bunch of people who were actually lived in uh, Plainfield is that, you know, he was he was always a, sort of this outsider, but he was kind of the town oddball. Just like mm-hmm. a lot of people thought he was kind of simple, you know, even though later they kind of decided that he was probably of average intelligence just his upbringing sort of made him seem just not all there he was socially behind developmentally yeah yeah but he's sort of that like he kind of took on that role of like uh what's his name lenny from of mice and men just sort of like the big the big goofy dumbo around town and he would like he would help people with odd jobs around town so he could make a little bit of money and you know, he was just sort of always there, but no, and everybody's like, "Oh yeah, that's just Ed." You know, he's just our town. You just know, old, just old Ed. Yeah. Ed being Ed. Yeah, and he like he would babysit kids around town, and like one thing I read said that he like he preferred to be around children, kind of because oh, he was on God. their same level. And oh. yeah, um, thankfully, I'll just put it out there now that like nothing bad happened with that. Thankfully. He didn't you know, do anything to any children or, or whatever. But um, So Mary Hogan disappeared, and he sort of unofficially admitted to it. No one took him seriously. And then on November 16th, 1957, a local hardware store owner named Bernice Warden went missing. And it was it was something where it was like deer hunting season, and this was like, go hunt deer to get food for the winter kind of thing. And her son had been out all day and he came back and he noticed that the hardware store was still closed and he thought that was weird. So he went in there and there was like a big pool of blood on the floor. Oh dear. Yeah. So they were like, okay, something happened to to Bernice. Let's figure this out. And the day before he remembered Ed being in the hardware store and talking about how he, he wanted to buy some antifreeze and he kind of wanted to know the price of antifreeze and then the last receipt that was written was for antifreeze on the day that she disappeared 
So he was kind of like, okay, well, you know, told the police, like, let's start with Ed, because that's kind of a weird coincidence. So the police went out to Ed's place. The The house was all locked up, but the shed and kind of in behind the house wasn't. So they went to check out the shed. And this is the point of the story where if you're not interested, just skip ahead to the other topic. Yeah, this is where it gets really rough. Or does it? Maybe they found nothing. They found a shed full of those robotic dogs. Right, exactly. He he was an inventor. Ed Gein or Ed Gein was an inventor. See, no. I this is gonna be fine. Yeah, no, they uh they found Bernice. Um or part of her. Yeah. She was cut up and I don't think we need to go into a whole lot of detail, but she was dead and kind of hanging and she was she was uh we we need to talk about that. We're a history podcast. Okay. I mean, so and I'll do this in the the least offensive way possible. Okay. But, but she was basically uh hanging by her feet mm-hmm. and had been cleaned like a deer would have been. Mm. Yeah. That's the way I read it. Yeah. I also heard it. Now, the good news for her is after investigation, apparently she was dead pretty much earlier than when this all happened. Yeah, she had been shot with a with a gun at close range and probably died well before any of any of this horrible any mm-hmm. of these horrible things happened. But still, um, very disturbing. Yeah, and then once they actually got inside the house, they discovered part of Mary Hogan the tavern owner who'd gone missing three years earlier, and they also found a bunch of other body parts. Oh, by the way, her head was missing. Uh, I didn't mention that. Um, Bernice's head was gone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Should we go through what they found in the house? I don't think we need to get way too into that, but... I mean, but this is... So, uh, this is... (laughs) We talked about, like, serial killers and portrayals, so this is is like the Hannibal Lecter... um, well, kind of Hannibal Lecter, kind of uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. sort of. But but they found a lot of things um, that, like body parts that had been turned into like decorations for for the house. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, like you know, there was a human skin lampshade. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were like soup bowls made out of skulls. Yeah. Um, there were uh, the Mary Hogan's head was found in a paper bag. Mm-hmm. Um, there were socks and oh God, there were socks that were made from human flesh. There was a ceiling light pool that was made out of human lips. Mm. Um, a vest, a belt made from body parts. I'm not going to get into that. Yeah. Uh, just just a bunch of really super gross stuff. Yeah, and you can find very detailed lists of this stuff online if you're really, really curious. Yeah. But yeah, needless to say, this was his weird, creepy hobby thing that he did alone yeah. in his farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. Like, it was really well-crafted like stuff made out of human yeah. body parts. Like, it wasn't just... 
he was very careful and like thoughtful with how he did that, which is even worse, obviously. But yeah, it's very Silence of the Lambs. Yes, like was, as creepy yeah. as it gets. Yeah, yeah, and the curious thing at the time was that okay, they knew that Bernice Warden, he'd killed Bernice Warden. They knew that he killed Mary Hogan. Where did all this extra stuff comes come from? And they what they figured out, what he eventually admitted to, was that he'd been grave robbing. And what he would do is he would look at obituaries in the newspaper and he would find out, you know, people who'd recently died and then he would run off to the cemetery and dig them up. Yeah. And, and get their bodies and then use them for whatever he wanted to use them for. I read that he actually looked for women that resembled his mother. Yeah. And that's that not, he, that's really not very shocking. Yeah, and that he actually would It like, should be more shocking than it is, honestly, but considering <laughs> this whole story. And so going back to the whole sex change, that they said that he would flay the women, tan the skins and then like wear them as a like mm-hmm. to try to be a woman. Um, yeah. A woman's suit. So like Buffalo Bill from Sons of the Lambs. So, yeah. That's, which uh, is we can talk a little bit more about how he directly influenced pop culture in a little bit. But yeah. one one encouraging thing that I read was that he said that he never did stuff with the bodies. Yeah. Because they smelled too bad. So that's nice. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's sort of where where your mind ultimately goes. You're just like, okay, how far did this weirdo take this? Right. Like, well, he, he actually had limits on his horrible depraved things that he did i don't even know if he was into women either like that oh yeah that there is that question that would have surprised me yeah well he was definitely into at least one woman yes augusta his mom yeah but i'm i'm just gonna go ahead and say now that i don't think augusta's uh biblical teachings really did him much good i don't know if they led to him leading a very Christian lifestyle. So. Yeah, I don't know that... I Maybe know. she didn't have the best tactic, is all I'm getting at, I guess. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, so in 1957, Gein went to court, and they actually decided that he was too insane to be fit for trial. And they diagnosed him with schizophrenia, so he got put away... Uh, in a mental institution in 1957. They're like, yeah, he he doesn't know what's going on or whatever. And then he was just sort of off, you know, locked away until 1968 when his doctors decided that he, at that point, was sane enough to participate in his own defense and make decisions about, you know, his lawyers and stuff like that. Which seems kind of weird. I don't know how you go from being insane and having schizophrenia to 11 years later, they decide, oh, okay, yeah, you can go on trial. Like, I don't know what the, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know anything about law or how all that works, but it just seems kind of weird that they yeah. would just come back to it later. Seems like once you're insane, you can't, uh, I don't know, I guess it depends. Yeah. It's not like he was found not guilty initially by insanity. Right. It was just that he was too insane to, to, to like, uh, like, what is it? go to court or yeah, be tried. Trial. Yeah. yeah. So So they so they gave him like a cooling off period. Yeah, like they go, went to go see if go they can get, get him less insane. Yeah, see if they can get him sane yeah. enough to, to have a trial. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in 1968, he did end up going on trial. They decided he was sane enough, and he was actually found guilty of first degree murder. So everyone's like, "Yeah, we got him!" Yay! And then they did a second trial to see if he was insane or not. So that's confusing. Uh huh. And they decided that he was not guilty by reason of insanity. So he was convicted for the murders, and then they unconvicted him in a second trial. Yeah. And it didn't sound like it was like an appeals thing. It sounds like they had one trial to determine if he did the murders, and then they had a trial to determine what his punishment would be or if he would be punished. That's confusing. Yeah. um, He ended up getting locked up again, sent to another mental institution, and was in there until he died in 1984. So, on July 26th. So that's why we're talking about him, because he died this week. Did you know that uh, they burned his house down while he was yep. uh, in the mental institution? A mysterious fire. Yeah. The night before the house was going to go up for auction. And then someone also bought the van that he used to haul bodies from the graveyard. Mm-hmm. And showed it in a like a carnival sideshow. Yeah, like county fairs. And, yeah, yeah. They called it the Ed Gein Ghoul Car. Yeah, Which... yeah. And kind of from what I from what I saw in this thing I watched about it, it sounds like the the people in the town were not very happy that the house was going to go up for sale. Right. Because they really didn't want it getting turned into like Ed Gein creepy museum place. Uh huh. And then it caught on fire and the whole thing burned to the ground. Everybody was like, all right, cool. You know, they all breathed a sigh of relief. Um, So the house doesn't exist anymore. It's not like you can go there and see it or whatever. But they did end up selling the land. I don't know to who or whatever. But another weird, just weird aspect of this story is that the sheriff who originally interrogated him was so angry at him that he banged his head against, like, a brick wall. Mm Mm-hmm. Which actually made Gein's original confession not... It wouldn't hold up in court, so I guess I had to get another confession later. But the sheriff was traumatized by this case, like, of course, because it's just such a horrific thing. I'm sure he'd never seen anything like it before. And he actually died of a heart attack right before the trial in 1968. And, And some people think that he may have just been too rattled by the idea of, like, having to you know, go on the stand and stuff and testify in this trial and it just was too much for him and he ended up dying. So that's kind of a weird, another just weird aspect of the story. Uh, and then, like we've sort of talked about and alluded to throughout this, the the really interesting thing about Gein is that his story kind of inspired and, and sort of gave us the mold for these types of characters in movies. You have Psycho, which basically this story directly influenced like directly inspired norman bates and his story and his weird creepy loner mother obsessed character and then the texas chainsaw massacre the leatherface character was sort of also based on that and i haven't seen that movie in a while but i guess sort of the family has like furniture and other stuff that's sort of like made of bones and people and all that creepy stuff and then the Sons of the Lambs with the woman's suit and the serial killer abducting women and, and all that type of stuff. So, and, and there's several more, like Rob Zombie's movies have been influenced by it too and stuff like that. Um, 
And then the last thing that I have on this is that uh, Gein's gravestone was actually stolen in 2000. And it was, it was one of those things where people kept like chipping off pieces of it over the years because they wanted a piece of Ed Gein's gravestone. And then in 2000, somebody actually stole the whole thing. And it was recovered a year later, and they didn't actually put it back where it originally was. He was buried next to his mother, so, you know, good for him, I guess. But, uh, yeah, some some hooligans stole his gravestone, and, and it's, like, off in some archive somewhere. It's not on display or anything, so. Uh, well, yeah, gross. You, Super yeah. gross. Yeah. Do you have any other, anything? No, I just want this topic to end. Okay, yeah. Um... Yeah, so that's that's Ed Gein, crazy serial killer weirdo who's in love with his mother and all that stuff. M- died Mad Butcher of Plainfield, July. I think is what they call them. Yeah, J- died July 26, 1984. Okay, well, let's move on. What are we talking about next? Well, our second topic is the the Mormon pioneers, as they were called, finally reaching the Salt Lake Valley during their exodus. Mormons are so pissed that they have to follow Ed Gein's right now. Well, I don't know if they are. They really are. We have but, a but huge, this is certainly a lighter topic, and we have a huge Mormon following. I don't know if we do though. We I mean, really if we if we have Mormon listeners, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But I I don't know of any oh, specifically. That's big of you not to have a problem with us having Mormon listeners. Well, I'm just saying, like, I don't know of any. I'm not opposed to it, but I just it's certainly never come up. Like, no one's tweeted at us and been like, do more Mormon stuff to represent me. This is a big Mormon day, man. This is big for Mormons, right? Do they celebrate this at all? Or I don't know. I don't know. I assume they do. I mean, this is their, this is kind of like, uh, you know, when the, when the Jews found Israel in the Bible, this is their kind of their own. I imagine they, they sort of are proud of this, you know, um, so to go back and sort of give you kind of a backstory, the history of the Mormon Church, uh, the Mormon Church was, or as it's actually specifically called, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and Mormon is sort of a shorthand for that. Uh, it was founded in 1830 by this guy named Joseph Smith, who claimed that he had found some golden plates buried near his house, and he transcribed what was on the golden plates and that became the Book of Mormon, which is the... Basically, you can think of it as, like, the Bible 3. It's like you have the Old Testament, the New Testament, and then the Book of Mormon is, like, the third act, or whatever. For them. It's like a sequel, yeah. It's 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 the Mormon... This is our... This is the final version of, of all that. And so, Joseph Smith, you know, showed up with this book and said that it came from these golden plates, and... Uh, this is the new religion. This is what we're going to do now. So, he sort of spent the next about 15 years kind of trying to establish the Mormon church. And they, they kind of kept getting run out of places. They they moved to, I believe it was Missouri for a while. And nobody really liked them there. They didn't want them there. And they just kind of made made it difficult to live there. So, then they ended up moving to... Illinois, and they sort of established this town called Nauvoo. It's N-A-U-V-O-O. Terrible name. Well, well, it's probably it probably has some significance. It's probably some important person in the Book of Mormon. I don't know, but they established this town in Illinois, 
and this was going to be their new like this is our town this is our our little you know slice of paradise and they had their like main cathedral whatever you want to call it like this is this is the mormon building this is our super church or whatever um and apologies for anybody who actually knows a lot about mormonism because i'm i don't but basically they'd established this town and this was going to be their safe haven and stuff and then all the people who lived near the town who were already there didn't like it they didn't like these mormon people they didn't trust them and joseph smith actually ended up getting arrested in a town called carthage which was a a town nearby because you know the people didn't like him and i'm sure they found some reason to arrest him and then on June 27th, this is in 1844, Smith and his brother got killed in a firefight at the Carthage Jail. And I've heard two different versions of this story. I've heard the version that they were trying to escape and the the uh, sheriffs were trying to stop them and they killed them. And I've also heard a version that an angry mob showed up and basically gunned them down. I don't know which version is true, but basically the... That's a leader. Yeah, I mean, it's not super great. It's not real, you know, it's not something I'm sure the Mormons were celebrating. Because Joseph Smith was the head of this church. I mean, he had like uh, sort of a council of elders kind of thing. But uh, he was the church. And his brother, who got killed, was officially the second in line. So one and two were out of the picture at this point. And there was kind of a, I don't know, kind of a little bit of a crisis trying to figure out who was going to take over. And then they ended up settling on Brigham Young, which, what's the, what's the significance of Brigham Young? Do you know what, like, are you aware of his name at least? Believe it or not, I'm not as uh, knowledgeable on uh, the Mormon faith as I probably should be. Well, you've heard of BYU, right? No, I certainly I know the name and I know it associates with Mormons. Um, uh huh. But I don't. Uh... Well, that that's all I'm getting at is even if you don't know a lot about Mormonism, you've probably heard of BYU. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Which yeah. is Brigham Young University, which is in Salt Lake City, I believe, in actual Salt Lake, and that's the Mormon College. So, you know, I guess things worked out for him because he got his name put on a college. That's good. But So he was the new head of this church, this religion, Mormonism. And after Joseph Smith died, he and the other Mormon leaders got together and they decided they were going to leave because, you know, their guy just got shot here. They should move on. You know, that makes sense, right? That's what you would probably do? Sort of skedaddle? Yeah, I think at this point, that would be my... Actually, you know what I would do is just probably go, yeah, it's not really worth it. I'll probably just... Probably you would just, just not be a Mormon yeah, anymore? Yeah, I'm just going to stop being a Mormon now. Yeah. This yeah, sucks. I mean, Everyone obviously, hates us, obviously it was more... Us. Yeah. Obviously, it was more important to them than it would be for you, I guess. Um, so, so good for them, I guess, for being dedicated to it, you know? You know? Are you, are you asking me if I agree with you? That good for not them? really. We we can move on. No, I want to. I want to dissect this. Okay. No, nah, I really don't. But yeah. Okay, I didn't y- think you did. Y- you are right there. Their their dedication to Mormonism is definitely more than my dedication would have been. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's safe to say. So, in the winter of 1946, they started kind of laying plans for this exodus out of Illinois, going west, and Brigham Young had sort of looked at different available information from trappers and Native Americans, people who had actually been out west, and he decided that the Salt Lake Valley in the Great Basin in what we now know as Utah was going to be, that's going to be our paradise, be where we, where we go. And one thing that's funny that I read about it is that he he basically looked for somewhere that nobody else would want. Like, That's kind of a smart move, considering his yeah. history with people. Right. You know, they, they kept they kept moving to places that were too close to civilization, or what was civilization at the time. He's like, let's go find some place that literally nobody else is going to be mad that we're there. So they settled on the Salt Lake Valley, out in the Utah area, and they kind of started to send out scouts to sort of figure out the trails and kind of a a, a good route they could take to get out there because, of course, a lot of this area was still unexplored by Americans and Europeans and stuff like that. So he sent these people out, and then on April 5th, 19, or on April 5th, 1847, they started their trip. They gathered up a whole bunch of people, and they headed west. They were on their way. And they basically traveled from 7 a.m. to 8.30 p.m. six days a week. And then they had their, uh, you know, their Sabbath, took their day off once a week to sort of relax and probably do Mormon stuff, church type stuff. Yeah, they played games and mm -hmm. uh, watched Walking Dead on Sunday. Uh -huh. I'm, yeah, I'm sure, yeah. Had a big yeah, stuff like that, so. Italian dinner. Uh-huh. Yep, that is all historically accurate. I read all of those things. And, uh, let's do my research. So, uh, they averaged about 12 to 14 miles a day, which I don't know if that was good for the time or bad, but it doesn't seem like that much. Well, you got to remember they're, first of all, they're, they're traveling, uh, through undeveloped territory. Mm -hmm. So it's right. not like there are, uh, they couldn't just hop on like, you know, there's not like I-35. No, there's not like a yeah. highway. Yeah, from there, and, and uh, they're using wagons um, mm -hmm. and oxen to travel, so that that doesn't translate well to speed. Yeah, I suppose it's like like you mentioned before we recorded, sort of like along the lines of like the Oregon Trail, that kind of yeah, a lot of distance. It's sort of where we were historically, and yeah, a bunch of people got sick on the way, actually, including Brigham Young. Uh, they kind of had an illness go through and diarrhea. Uh, well, probably. I, I don't know the specifics, but... Uh, and I actually read that at one point they used part of the path that the famous Donner Party used as they were headed west. Which just kind of made me laugh considering that how the Donner Party ended up uh, didn't go too well for them. What happened? I guess it worked. Uh, well, they got lost and they had to eat each other, so... Boy, you don't sugarcoat anything, do you? No? Well, I mean, we already talked about Ed Gein, like... There's not a whole lot I can say on the Mormon topic that's going to be worse. There's really nothing I can say on the Mormon topic that will be worse. So, so on July 21st, uh, two guys, Arrestus Snow and Orson Pratt, were the first two to actually see down into the Salt Lake Valley. They were the they were the first to get to see their new great home place, 
and they kind of sent some scouts out and they, a couple guys to kind of explore. They spent the next couple days sort of checking things out, deciding, you know, kind of getting the lay of the land and stuff. And then on the 24th, July 24th, uh, Brigham Young, who was ill at the time, finally kind of got there and saw the valley for himself. And he he was like in the back of a wagon because he was sick and stuff. And then he sort of kind of looked out on everything and he told the guy who was driving the wagon, he's like, this is the right place. We made it. Drive on. So, And then later he claimed that he'd actually already seen all of this in a vision. So this was sort of a kind of a divine... Well, that seems easy sort to do. Of. Like, oh, hey, well, it, we're here. I, yeah. Guys, by the way, totally saw this in a vision earlier. Yeah. I mean, that's it is one of those things that's really easy to say after the fact. Did anyone sure. uh, ever look at those gold plates or see those gold plates that started the whole Mormon thing? No, I believe that they were... I believe, and it's been a while since I've actually read up on sort of the beginnings of... Mormonism, but I believe the claim is that an angel came down and took them away. Huh. So. That's the official story, I think. I can't. But there's, for whatever reason, the golden plates are not in the possession of anybody on Earth that we know of. So. Take that how you will. But uh, by December, over 2,000 Mormons had reached the valley. So this exodus, this migration was in full swing and there's sort of this period from 1847 to 1869 which is kind of the mormon pioneer era because after 19 or after 1869 uh people were able to travel by train so that made the trek a lot easier on everybody of course they didn't have to do wagons and all that stuff so a whole bunch of mormon people migrated to the valley and they sort of kind of had to build their own infrastructure irrigation and stuff and of course they had a big salt lake there that probably wasn't real great for you for know. fishing and stuff yes yeah, you know all that kind of stuff and i always secretly wondered to myself if if they got there and they were like this is this is the place this is where we're gonna live and then only after the fact they discovered that it was a salt lake but apparently they already knew about it i guess based on the reading i did so so they went there on purpose. They really wanted to live here. Hey, I mean, it's nice, right? No, I don't know. I've never been. So I can't say one way or the other. I guess the Mormons like it. They're still there. So it's got to be worth something, I guess. Um, one just sort of kind of random fun fact that I already knew is that in 1849, the Mormon church leaders actually petitioned for statehood. And they wanted to they wanted to carve out this huge region. They wanted to call it Deseret, which was way bigger than what Utah is now. It would have included Utah, and then parts of Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, Arizona, New Mexico, Oregon, Nevada, and California. So, like basically, the whole west side, like all the western states, is what they were gonna what they were gonna have. And then the government was just basically like, no. Don't we don't think that's going to work out for yeah, us. We don't trust you Mormons. So as time went on, they sort of cut away pieces and then wound up with the Utah Territory, which became a state in, in uh, 1896. So that's where, and now it's, you know, Utah. It's kind of there in the middle. You guys can um, have Utah. 
Yeah. You guys can have the, the you know, the part with all the salt water and the salt flats. And basically, you guys can have all the salt, you know? So, uh, the last thing that I had was just kind of a random thing that I read while I was reading up on this is that uh, during the journey, they somebody actually invented what they called a rhodometer, which is an early version of an odometer, like what we have in cars. And basically, the if I understand it, the way it came about is that there was one guy whose job was to tally how much distance they traveled every day. And for like the first three weeks that they were traveling, he ju- he would just stare at a wagon wheel the whole, I guess the whole day, and just count how many times it went all the way around. That's and a horrible then, job. Right, that's the worst job. Like, just stare at a wheel all day and then calculate at the end of the day how many times it went around and therefore how many miles you traveled. And he figured out, like, this job sucks. Like, I got the worst job. So he went to this other guy who was a mathematician and was like, is there, like, a better way to do this? And so they figured out, like, a cog and gear system that would actually attach to the axle of the wheels of the wagon. And then I guess that would tally on its own. And then at the end of the day, they could just look at it and say, okay, it it went around X number of times or something like that. So they invented odometers because some guy was sick of staring at a wagon wheel. So, that's kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, I guess. It depends on your definition of cool, Mike. I mean, that's where odometers came from. Yeah. Yeah. Why do we even do a history podcast? You don't (laughs) seem interested. Uh, You know what I am interested in? Uh Uh-huh. I am interested in the way that they traveled and things that they took with them. Okay. That that part interested me because I I was so obsessed with uh, the Oregon Trail as a kid. The, the video game? The video where game. Where everyone dies? Yeah. So they, they yeah. The, the idea that they literally had like a list of provisions that they mm-hmm. put together, and it was like oxen, uh, and this is like per wagon. Mm-hmm. You'd have to have uh, oxen, you'd have to have cows for milk, okay. other livestock, uh, arms, ammunition. Mm-hmm. Right. Arms are useless uh, without the ammunition. Flour, a thousand pounds of flour. Okay. Sugar, cooking equipment, farming and mechanical equipment. So think about all that stuff that they packed in there. Mm-hmm. They had to bring all their wives too. You know, I mean, th- that's yeah. uncalled for. Well, I'm just saying they. Back then, they were kind of that whole polygamy thing. It was kind of their, it's kind of their deal. But yeah, I mean that is. That is a a lot like, you know, I mean, and they had to, they couldn't just stop at a McDonald's while they were on the road, so they kind of had to have everything with them, right? All the stuff they needed and cooking supplies and Well, not only that, but also the stuff that they would need to, like, establish themselves once they got where they were going. Right, yeah, exactly. But it's just wild. Like, when, when I think of this, I just think of, like, a wagon with a family mm-hmm. in it crossing the United States. Mm-hmm. And no, this was like a massive caravan. Right, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, the the way that I generally picture it in my head is like a wagon and then a couple of oxen and then like some bedrolls in the wagon and then the family back there. And I don't, you know, I don't picture that whole big setup. Like, oh, we got to have a thousand 
pounds of flour for us, you know. Yeah, do they put that all in one wagon? They couldn't, right? I don't know. Uh, I couldn't. I couldn't tell you. We got to go find a a pioneersman and ask him. Uh, do you have anything else on the the Mormon Exodus? No, we talked before the show. There's not the a whole pioneers. ton to it. It's an important historical event, obviously. Um, yeah. But here's what happened: they traveled across the country and they stopped. Yep, and they're still there to this day. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I mean, if you get into like uh, sort of studying the demographics and stuff in the United States, like this kind of has a big effect on it because this whole region is sort of still kind of you know LDS territory and all that type of stuff. But you know, the actual the actual event was they left in April and they got there in July. So, just a little just a little story for you. So, uh, do you want to start? Wrapping things up, start closing the show out. Yeah, I think we hit, uh, we got our death in this week and mm-hmm. got a nice travel story. Yeah, yep. Yeah. So, so do you want to talk about our, our internet web presence? I would love to. Okay. Did you know that we have a website? Uh, yeah, I did. Do you like websites? I've been there sometimes. Uh, not really. Yeah. Well, our website is www the weeksaucepodcast.com that's mm-hmm. w e e k if you weren't aware right. that's a play on words normally you would hear w e a k yeah when paired with so, sauce. somebody somebody listening is like yeah what's wrong with that yeah cuz they're bad at spelling sorry so we messed up yeah so you can go there and you can see um all of our podcasts located in one place you can also download us on itunes which is great so you can listen mm-hmm. in the car or listen at home or sitting at dinner with your family uh, mm-hmm. you can during a funeral during a funeral is a great one during a church service uh yeah, wherever anywhere anywhere you can have your phone or you could uh you could also follow us on twitter we're at mm-hmm. we have a podcast at we have a podcast yep. or facebook we have a podcast, facebook.com uh-huh. slash we have a podcast. And if you go to Twitter, you can interact with us. Tell us what you thought about the show. Tell us that you don't like serial killer talk. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Tell us you love serial killer talk. Like, to a creepy degree. Yeah. You know, if I, that's something it, you're into. Those people will block and unfollow. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Hey, we should do a shout-out this week for Colin. Thanks, because Colin. he recommended the show to Jr. Yeah, and got us another fan. We got a huge kick out of that. Actually, we talked about yeah, it that was pretty cool outside of the show that someone listened yeah. and then told somebody else. So that was very nice, Colin. We appreciate. it. We're glad you like the show. Yeah, and if you are another loyal listener who's not Colin, why aren't you telling people to listen to our show? What's your deal, buddy? You know, recommend us to some people. Please. Yeah, tell your friends and family and. You know, whoever, anybody you know, anybody you know who you think would like the show, and anybody you know who you think wouldn't like the show, just really alienate all of your loved ones by just never not talking about this podcast. All right? That, I mean, that's the least you can do for us, I think. Yeah, it's the least you can do. You don't yeah. pay us any money. Right. Although, if you want to pay us some money, we'll take I'm it. down for that. Yeah. Just, uh, you know, just... Put it all in a in a briefcase. Take it to Fourth and Main. There's a trash can on the northwest corner 
Just drop it in there. We'll get it. Oh, we'll get so, it. We'll, yeah. If we don't get it right away, we'll get it just when we do our normal sweep of trash cans. Right, exactly. For, like, yeah. for dinner and stuff. Yeah, we... Uh, I don't want to brag, but we spend a lot of time going through trash a cans. A lot of time. So. A lot. Yeah. Yep. Um, and uh, if you want to go to iTunes and rate and review us and give us a, you know, leave a comment or whatever, that's great. That'd be We'd awesome. really appreciate that. If you do that uh, and take a also... screenshot of it and then, like, send it to us on Twitter or something, we will do something nice for you. Yeah. I don't know what, but something. We'll see. We'll see what we come up with. And, um, I think that's pretty much it, right? I think that's it. Yeah. So, that's the show. Sorry for all the grisly death talk, and, uh, maybe we won't do as much of that next week. Or maybe we will. <laughs> maybe we will. You'll have to tune in to find out. <laughs> Thank you.